It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Sandra Smith, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's primary day in several states, including North Carolina, and races in this state may provide some insight into the minds of independent voters. And we're seeing unaffiliated voters voting at a much greater rate than any other primary in our past several years. Though the frontrunner in the Senate primary says some basic issues appeal to partisan and nonpartisan voters alike. These things are um, applicable to people, whether they are uh, conservative Republicans all the way to uh, Democrats. These things help all Americans. I'm Dave Anthony. It's also primary day in Pennsylvania, where even if the former president's preferred candidate doesn't win the Republican Senate primary, he's made a big impact. All three of these candidates, Oz, McCormick and Barnett, are committed to the MAGA agenda, if you will, or have been campaigning on the MAGA agenda. And no matter what the outcome is, you can say the Trump wing is still important. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. While the focus may seem to be on Pennsylvania's primary today, with former President Trump's endorsement of Dr. Mehmet Oz, it's primary day in other states, too. And a big one is North Carolina's, where last summer Trump endorsed Congressman Ted Budd. I'm going with Congressman Ted Budd, complete and total endorsement. Come on up, Ted. Budd has been a North Carolina congressman for six years and a member of the House Freedom Caucus. But in North Carolina, you can't run for office without considering this. Most voters, more than either party, are unaffiliated. And those unaffiliated voters can vote in today's primary. The number of those choosing not to register with a party has grown with the state's population as the demographics have been changing. According to Fox News Decision Desk member and pollster Darren Shaw, who told this podcast last week. Fifteen years ago, the North Carolina looked like a great target for Democrats because of the underlying mobility patterns, um, people moving in versus moving out. And because of a substantial African-American population that was unregistered and therefore undermobilized. And they kind of thought the blueprint for the Democrats was if we go in there and register our African-American supporters, um, we can make this state competitive. So North Carolina will provide a glimpse into the minds of independent voters and serve as another test of Trump's endorsement power. But made people pay attention to my race. Congressman Ted Budd is running in North Carolina's Senate primary. It was the single biggest factor in making people pay attention to what I stood for and understanding that I was for the same principles that made our country thrive under President Trump, the America First principles, protecting our border, supporting law enforcement, um, making it easier on working families, hardworking families. Uh, You know, in the the campaign, we've got 14 people on the Republican ballot for U.S. Senate. Um, Unfortunately for the opponents, they've just focused on my race and on me. But uh, for me, I've just focused on the issues and what's been concerning to North Carolina citizens. Why do you think you got the endorsement? I, I understand you voted against some of the former president's agenda, some some things having to do with like COVID spending, general spending, initially a farm bill that you later supported a, a, revi- a revised version of. Um, and, and your main rival, Governor McCrory, has said maybe it's because you're friends with Mark Meadows, uh, Trump's former chief of staff. What's your opinion of why you got the endorsement? Well, those other opponents have operated out of sour grapes, but I've got a great working relationship with Donald Trump. 
uh, before he was even president, and he came through the triad area here of North Carolina. I introduced him and uh, gave him my full support, Um, and I've always been a straight shooter with him. He appreciates that. Um, He knows that when I see a problem with policies that he may have been informed about or gotten bad advice on, um, that I'll shoot straight with him. And I've been very consistent on that, and I think he appreciates that. And uh, I think he uh, values uh, honesty in a relationship. But what he told me backstage the night he endorsed me was that I never wavered on the America First principles. And that's what he appreciated about me. Some people would get squirrely. They would run away. And yet uh, he liked that I was a, I was a fighter. And uh, he also liked that I would, uh, was very honest with him. What do you tell um, North Carolinians that you've done as a congressman, including as, I guess, a member of the Freedom Caucus, as evidence that you should be in the Senate now? So I've done, uh, I've supported, sponsored, co-sponsored over 50 major pieces of legislation. Some of the ones I would really want to highlight have to deal with uh, veterans and holding the VA accountable and proving care for our veterans, um, streamlining their care, making it easier on them, fighting against opioids, human trafficking, and realize that for decades that the opioid deaths have been going up and up and up every year worse than the year before. But under President Trump and the policies that I was able to work on and support, we were able to turn those down for the first time, actually have less than the year prior. That was in 2019. And if not for COVID, uh, we would be continuing a downward trend. But we know what to do to rein in what is now the leading cause of death for those between 18 and 45 years old. So we made great progress on that. We need to get back to that. Um, and the other is on rural broadband. We saw so many school children being sent home, people being sent home, working from home under COVID. And it really highlighted the digital divide between those that were in uh, in rural areas versus those in urban areas. And those are the things that uh, we have been diligently fighting for the last five, six years. Congressman, what what do you think is driving North Carolinians the most right now as they vote? Um, is it what the rest of the nation, like, is it comparable to what sort of the rest of the country is being driven by? Is it just economic and inflation related? Or is there something more specific to North Carolina that you're, that you're picking up on? What seems to be driving people uh, is this runaway inflation. It doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. Um, if you are a Democrat, unaffiliated, or a Republican, you, uh, your price at the pump or your price at the grocery store has been affected. And it's, uh, it's runaway. We know how to solve these problems. And yet every turn, Joe Biden is making bad decisions in his administration. Those are the things that my opponent, Sherry Beasley, are going to support, the Joe Biden policies that have led to this runaway inflation that's hurting families, mm-hmm. that's leading to shortages. So we know how to fix this. But, uh, and I want to be part of the team that fixes these problems for the American people. The other major issues... Uh, start at the border. It's the opioid deaths that we talked about in the fentanyl that's crossing uh, the border and Joe Biden's open border policies. Uh, I think we know how to fix those things. And I think that's what's driving people to the polls right now. They want to know somebody that has their back and wants to look out not only for uh, their security, but also for their pocketbooks. Finally, you have a lot of unaffiliated voters in North Carolina. Um, I I know when it comes to the unaffiliated or the independents, the thinking is, okay, win the primary and then pivot back to acting, you know, more moderate. But independents can vote in North Carolina's primary. So what is your expectation of where they're at? 
But, you know, I'm going to leave that to the political scientists, but I'm going to say that I'm the same Ted Budd uh, then that I will be in the general. And I want to talk uh, to unaffiliated, to Democrats, to Republicans and say, yes, I'm a conservative. I'm not going to um, be ashamed of that at all, but I know what it takes to make this country great. Uh, and I care about your pocketbook. I care about your children's safety at school. I care about uh, what you what price you pay at the pump. I care that your next generation has job opportunities and a growing economy that they can have meaningful, good work and opportunities and careers in. I care about education. So I think these things are um, applicable to people, whether they are uh, conservative Republicans all the way to uh, Democrats. These things help all Americans. And those are the things that I'm going to support. One of Bud's biggest rivals has been former Governor Pat McCrory. McCrory was in the room last year when Trump endorsed Bud and heard him say he couldn't endorse someone who lost two races and doesn't share our values. McCrory said he doesn't know exactly what that meant, but that he's agreed with much of Trump's policies. And that while Bud may be the front runner, he doesn't put much stock in the data gathered so far on this race. Most people don't realize the unaffiliated or independent voter can vote in the primary, and they're now comprised of more Republicans and Democrats in North Carolina. The unaffiliated voters are 35 to 37 percent of the voters, and we're seeing unaffiliated voters voting in a much greater rate than any other primary in our past several years. And our polling was showing us having a two to one advantage with unaffiliated. So we might see some big surprises here in North Carolina, and uh, I'm looking forward to a, hopefully a victory on Tuesday night. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I know Club for Growth uh, has been spending money to back Bud. I'm wondering a little bit about name recognition. Going into this, you were the former governor. You had plenty of name recognition. Um, but is Trump's name bigger? I think the only thing that Trump helped Bud was, was no one knew Bud because he hadn't done anything for six years as a U.S. Congress. I mean, nothing except he did vote against the Trump uh, immigration bill and the wall. He did vote against the Trump farm bill. He did vote against the Trump uh, virus uh, medicine. He did vote against many of the Trump trade policies. The Club for Growth, or as J.D. Vance says, the, the Club for Chinese Growth, they're trying to buy North Carolina's U.S. Senate race. And I think people are kind of sick of their ads that try to portray me as a rhino. If I'm a rhino, Ronald Reagan's a socialist. I mean, I have the most conservative record of any governor in North Carolina history. I almost feel like I'm Jason Bourne, where someone's trying to change my identity with 15 or 16 million dollars. And some of those people are actually believing the ads, which are so deceitful. Yeah, you, you've laughed off this claim in, in recent interviews, these attacks calling you a liberal or a rhino. And I, yeah. I've read and talked to some of your supporters are, are like McCrory was doing some of the most conservative things um, when he was governor. The transgender bathroom bill you signed got a lot of attention. You banned sanctuary cities. You cut unemployment benefits. Why do you think Ted Budd is the one who got the backing of Trump over you? I don't know. I don't think uh, the president even knew who Ted Budd was. I think it was through Meadows. Uh, they were good friends and they're both members of the Freedom Caucus. But I mean, everyone who's endorsed Ted Budd can't mention one thing that he's accomplished, but he, he comes from a very wealthy family. And uh, again, everyone who says they're voting for Ted Budd, I just ask one question. What's he done in his six years in Washington? Because Washington has failed miserably. And so has he. And now he wants a promotion to Senate. 
Uh, we don't need another Washington insider getting a promotion. I'm actually, I did something. I, I reduced crime as mayor. I reduced taxes as governor. I fought and took some courageous stands as governor, which cost me an election, according to many people. But I don't care about the next election. I care about the next generation. As we've been talking, you've you've focused some of your energy on the club for growth. But it is President Trump who's the one who's endorsing, right? He's the one everybody keeps paying attention to. Is there too much attention being paid by people like me in the media and others on who Trump's backing and making this all about, you know, this constant test of Trump's power? Or is that just where the Republican Party is, you know, that that he is this sort of kingmaker and he's still in charge of the Republican Party? With all due respect, I think the media is concentrated on it because it gets clicks. But most voters in North Carolina can think for themselves. And I think we'll see the majority of North Carolina voters. Again, I, I agree with Trump's policy. I actually had a pretty good relationship with him. I helped campaign for him in 2016. But, um, you know, I also think down the road, we'll we'll see who's going to be the best presidential candidate that can win and has the accomplishment. And, and whether it be Trump or DeSantis or Christie or Haley, um, you know, we, we need to keep the Trump policies, except for spending. We've spent too much. When we started paying people more not to work than to work at the end of the Trump administration, that's when I decided to run. Because when I was governor, I actually reduced the unemployment compensation because we had too many people not taking jobs. We as conservatives, Republicans, need to get back to fiscal responsibility. And no one is more conservative and understands how to read a balance sheet than I do as both the mayor and governor, because I had to balance and I turned major deficits into surpluses as governor and as mayor. And um, my gosh, we need some serious people right now who actually do things and accomplish things in our party, not celebrities. Former Governor McCrory, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate the time and opportunity. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. Well, it's not just primary day in North Carolina. Voters will be out in other states, including Pennsylvania, where the lieutenant governor wants to be a U.S. senator. John Fetterman is expected to win the Democratic primary despite a medical scare. It was on Friday. Uh, I just wasn't feeling very well. So I decided, you know what, I need to get checked out. So I, I went to the hospital. I need to get checked out. Because yeah. I was right, as always. Well, that's Fetterman's wife, Giselle. He had a blood clot that led to a minor stroke, but he's expected to recover and keep trying to turn a now red seat blue with Republican Senator Pat Toomey not running again. The GOP race to replace him is considered too close to call. Uh, you know, it's a real conundrum for me. Rich DeLeo is one of the many undecided Republican voters in Pennsylvania. He's a big Trump supporter who likes that Dr. Mehmet Oz was endorsed by the former president, but... In all honesty, Dave McCormick and Kathy are great candidates. They bring a lot to the table. Uh, they support the America First agenda. Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick had been the leading candidates until lately when Kathy Barnett surged. She tells the Brian Kilmeade radio show. Contrary to what mainstream media is trying to say, I did not just fall from under a rock yesterday. The polls show no clear front runner anymore. The, the, the top three candidates seem to be neck and neck, and it's it's hard to pick which one is going to win. 
Arnon Mishkin is director of the Fox News Decision Desk. This race has been Oz and McCormick just going after each other, accusing the other one of being a carpetbagger and with a heavily negative campaign. And in that kind of environment... It's fine if your only choices are A or B, uh-huh. um, with A or B fighting. If there's a third or fourth candidate that can be, if you will, the safe harbor, I don't like either one of them, so I'm going to vote for this person, then that presents a real opportunity. And I think that's the opportunity that, that Kathy Barnett has uh, ex- so far exploited. Yeah, and, and former President Trump, we have to bring him into this yes. conversation because, you know, he has had quite a bit of primary success backing candidates in Texas and Ohio and a lot of areas. And he's backing Dr. Mehmet Oz in this case. Not his first choice, but a candidate backed out several months ago. So now we have Dr. Oz, the Trump candidate. Maybe another victory for Trump? Very possibly. But no matter what the outcome of the primary in Pennsylvania, I would argue the primary demonstrates the strength of what we used to call the Trump wing of that of the Republican Party, that all three of these candidates, Oz, McCormick, and Barnett, are committed to the MAGA agenda, if you will, or have been campaigning on the MAGA agenda. And no matter what the outcome is, you can say the Trump wing is still important. Right. I don't know what the headline's going to be. The headline is either going to be Trump wins again with Oz. Right. It's going to be Cinderella finds her, finds her shoe right. with um, Barnett. Or it's going to be that the two heavily MAGA candidates, um, Oz and Barnett, sort of split the vote and gave McCormick, who's probably the MAGA lightest of all three of them, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> an opportunity. Now, let's go to the Democratic side in this Senate race. You have Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who was apparently uh, is expected to win this race. He suffered a stroke, but supposedly is doing better and, and is going to be back campaigning. He's not pulled out of the race or anything like that. How significant is he for the Democrats potentially in November to take this seat? So there is an opportunity there. I think this race has to be at best for the Democrats a toss up. We'll have to see the polling after the Republican primary. It may be better for the Republicans than toss-up. But Fetterman's this is this weird character, um, and I think he's a very impressive campaigner. On the other hand, he's you know a Medicare for all kind of you know he could be cast as a as an extreme liberal. That's not necessarily a great place to be in if you're a Democrat in Pennsylvania. He was a very strong Bernie Sanders supporter, but he's a real guy. <laughs> in a way that that may be really helpful. I want to get your thoughts in Pennsylvania on something else. You know, a key could be how Latinos vote, not just in the primaries, but of course, as we get toward November. Republicans are trying to reach out. Carla Sands, I want you to hear from her. She's one of the five candidates in this race. She's not among the front runners. But she went to a church in Allentown trying to court voters and sell Republicans as... The party of love. Love of God, love of country, love of strong families, love of our small businesses, love of our constitution. And the Hispanic community has shares those values with us. Now, there have been polls showing Latino voters may be more open to Republican candidates this time around in 2022. What do you think? Oh, I think the, the evidence suggests very clearly that many segments of the Latino community or Hispanic community supported Donald Trump, um, were way more supportive of Donald Trump than were expected. 
And I think that what she said is very true, which is that, you know, Hispanic families tend to be very strongly family oriented. They tend to be more observant religiously than other Americans. And so that Republican appeal probably has get gets some traction. I don't know if it's going to be a big factor in the primary, but I think in November that, you know, the Democrats can't afford to lose large chunks or even a small chunk of the Latino community and Latino vote and expect to win. Sure. Where does abortion fit into this? Because if you talk about if they're more church going, could they potentially be more pro-life? And would that help the Republicans? Because the Democrats are making a big issue, certainly will in November, with this expected Supreme Court opinion. I think that it is possible that a decision overturning Roe versus Wade does um, sort of mobilize the um, Democratic pro-choice community, or whatever you want to call it, and possibly sort of make the uh, the sort of pro-life vote sort of feel like it's okay, we won. Um, So it's possible about that. But on the other hand, I think you're absolutely right. Communities that are heavily church-going tend to be more pro-life, and it is possible that that they find appeal in a decision that overturns Roe versus Wade or that in any way comes closer to restricting abortion. Now back to North Carolina. In addition to the Senate primaries, there's a closely watched Republican race for a House seat. Congressman Madison Cawthorn is facing several GOP primary challengers trying to unseat him after a lot of Cawthorn controversy. He's accused of driving with a revoked license, accused of carrying a loaded gun through an airport checkpoint, and there are numerous provocative statements and videos. Is he in danger of losing today? I think he's in a lot of danger. Um, but I would I would suggest this race is really interesting. And, and um, former President Trump came out with a statement either late Sunday night or early Monday morning in which he reendorsed Madison Cawthorn. He was elected the youngest congressperson in history. But Trump sort of identified he got into this horrible accident that, you know, we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy. Um, in which he lost the use of the, uh, both legs or the bottom part of his body. And he figured out some way to get himself elected to Congress. And lo and behold, he's 26 years old and he behaves like a 26-year-old, particularly a 26-year-old who's had a lot of success. Um, and so he's made some really foolish moves. And so the question is, um, Trump goes after that voter and he says, is he your prodigal son? Are you ready to welcome him back, even though you know he's made all these mistakes? Because look at all the challenges he's had to deal with, which I thought was you know, brilliant. Um, and I think that the question is, what do the people in those, that district, do they say you have gotten too big for your britches, if you will, and you're just... Uh, right, you're in you over your head here. And, and it's time for you to... to right, so away. some Republicans may say that, but he only needs 30%. He only needs 30%. And so there is a clear opportunity that he may survive this. Um, on if the he other doesn't hand, he's get clear, 30, he goes to a runoff. It goes to a runoff. If he doesn't get to 30 and it goes to a runoff, I, I think his chances are less. All right, let's uh, broaden it out because here we talked about, you know, primaries on Tuesday in these two states. Now, in the last week or so, we've talked about MAGA here. President Biden has gone on the offensive against what he calls ultra MAGA, Make America Great Republicans. He says it's the most extreme political organization in recent history. And then he went after the former president himself. Under my predecessor, the great MAGA king, The deficit increased every single year he was president. Now, calling him a king certainly did not upset Donald Trump, who says President Biden is... Really an excuse maker, blames everybody. 
blames people that have nothing to do with anything. So what do you make of this new President Biden offensive and how effective do you think it could be as a trend? Um, More effective than it's been, possibly given. But that's a low bar. If you will, uh, his I, approval rating thirty nine percent. The latest NBC at, poll. Yeah, exactly. So they've got to do something. Um, I think it is. Uh, look, we are dealing with um, a very high inflation, um, with the fact that the COVID has not gone away in a way that I think many people expected it would have gone away with all the people who've been vaccinated. So there are clearly very strong challenges that the the, uh, president's party is dealing with. I think they've done a really bad job of communicating any success that they've had. Um, And I think that it's illustrated in that statement. What's lost in that statement, what we heard in that statement is Biden attacks Trump. What you didn't hear in that statement is, by the way, the deficit has gone down, what, over a trillion dollars? Um, Why can't they get that message out? I don't know. Is it because um, the the deficit is doesn't resonate? We're we're it may be that the trillions deficit. of dollars and and yet people are thinking about gas is five bucks a gallon. I, I think that's exactly right. The Biden people have not been effective at getting a message out. Um, maybe this message will resonate, but it also has the chance of backfiring and sort of exciting, if you will, the MAGA base. Um, and the MAGA base continues to be a really important part of the. Republican Party, and frankly, a very large part of the uh, component of the electorate. All right. Pardon the pun here, but Democrats are going to play a Trump card as we get into the summer. And that is January 6th. They're going to go back into January 6th. They're going to hold these public hearings, prime time, right? They, they want January 6th to be front and center. How successful do you think that could be as we get toward the midterms? That's a, I don't know what they have. And they're hinting that they have a lot of stuff. Um, and if they have a lot of stuff, maybe that could move the needle. And what you need to move the needle is about 2 3% of the country. If you can move them from one side to the other, that's, that's big. Well, tarnish all Republicans with a larger brush about uh, trying to take over the election, right? Is that, that, that it? That, that's the challenge there. You're, you're, you've expressed the, the challenge that the January 6th committee has, which is, are you tarnishing all Republicans? Because if you're tarnishing all Republicans, you're telling, you know, um, Joe Republican who basically thought, hey, Biden won. I mean, I'm sorry he won, but I'm sorry he did. Um, and you're tarnishing him and calling him an insurrectionist. That is not a way to win over Joe Republican or Joe Independence. There's no evidence that this thing has moved the needle. Um, There is evidence more that the Republicans have been very effective in telling America to sort of move forward from January 6th. Arden Mishkin, director of the Fox News Decision Desk. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? There is no more quintessential American story universe than Star Trek. Since its creation in 1966, the franchise has had myriad iterations on big screen and small, basically invented the sci-fi convention, and has charmed audiences across every generation. But in two recent episodes, writers crossed a line where no Star Trek has gone before. That is to say, 
they got directly involved in partisan politics. The first blatant example of electioneering on Star Trek Discovery was a cameo by current and former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams as none other than the president of the Federation of Planets. The second was a weird plot twist in the pilot of the new show, Strange New Worlds, in which the 2020 Capitol riot is depicted and blamed for starting a second American civil war and the destruction of the planet. To put it more succinctly, orange man bad. To be fair, since the original 1960s series, Star Trek has always delved into cultural and societal issues. It has always been credited with diverse casts, with tackling issues like saving the whales, remember that? Uh, with reflecting American and global foreign policy. All of that should live long and prosper. But these two recent incidents go a good deal further. This isn't issue advocacy, it's pure partisan politics. This is part of a broader galaxy of problems, as we saw recently with Disney, which owns Star Wars, going to battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The central confusion here is the difference between showing broad support for things like basic civil rights and openly advocating for one political party's answers for securing them. So, for example, almost everyone supports voting rights, but that isn't the same as supporting Stacey Abrams. Almost everyone condemns the Capitol riot and political violence, but that's not the same as placing unique blame on one single event from one side of the spectrum. Ultimately, the problem here is that this kind of political signaling is alienating for those fans who are no part of the Democratic Party political tribe. As a fan myself, it hasn't made me turn off the shows, but it's jarring and also breaks the narrative spell of fantasy and science fiction, which is why people tune in in the first place. It feels very much like the writers and creators of the new line of Star Trek shows, which also includes Picard, don't think just writing a good TV show is important enough work. Like so much of corporate America, they think they have to save the country and the planet while they do it. Leave the planet saving for the fictional Starship Enterprise. The irony is that all three new Star Trek live action shows are quite progressive in the diversity of their casting. And despite hysterical concerns about a backlash that never actually happens, everyone is on board as long as the story and the acting are good. Artists can always have and should use their work to hold a mirror up to their culture and society, even to advocate for broad agenda items. What they shouldn't do is beam the equivalent of a 30-second Democrat Party political ad into the middle of a space adventure. Perhaps what America lacks more than anything else today is a shared set of strong stories that help explain our world. Even our entertainment is awash in bitter partisanship. It leaves Americans too few places to ponder their lives and communities outside the context of red versus blue. Star Trek is one of a small handful of entertainment brands with the popularity, scope, and reach to be that shared story. But to do so, its creators must choose that universality over scoring cheap, predictable, and partisan political points. I'm David Marcus, columnist and author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.